Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Elizabeth Dutton. Well, Zarin Burnett. So nice to see you. So good to see you, too. How you been? You been good? I've been great. I got a question for you if you got a second. Yeah, yeah, sure. Do you know what's ridiculous? I do. Dude, share with the brother. Okay. You know, like viral videos are pretty ridiculous. Generally speaking, yeah. yeah. There's one that came out last year, 2022, of this dude. I think you've probably seen it. He's at like a he's at a ballpark. I think he's at Yankee Stadium. And he gets a beer and he gets a hot dog and he takes a straw and he hollows out the hot dog. Yes. And then uses it the hot dog as, as the a straw, straw for, for his, his beer. beer. Yeah. Which I think is completely ridiculous. <laughs> yes. There it is. is. Really? No. There's no hidden mashup? No, there is a hidden mashup. Okay, so I'm not the only one who thought that that was ridiculous. Uh Everybody thought it was ridiculous. Yes, we all agreed on that. Including Oscar Mayer. Oh, no. Oscar Mayer has a hot dog straw available now. (laughs) Now, it's not made out of real hot dog. (laughs) What is it? It's made of silicone, so it's reusable. What's the point? Because it's the the funny... uh, Anyway, it's a tube steak shaped straw made out of silicone. <laughs> it should be a hot dog. Uh, and then this article in the takeout notes a material often used to simulate the feel of human skin. Oh. Uh, the straw is intended to be a reusable item that you can use. Uh, and I, okay, so you go to the website, the mm-hmm. uh, hot dog straw website. We'll pretend I do that. OscarMeyer.com, which sure. I've been going to every bleeping morning hitting refresh refresh yeah refresh. because okay it says pre-order your hot dog straw today <laughs> oh, God. and i give them my name i uh-huh. give them my email address uh-huh. which is a coveted state secret i give them my phone number can you believe that a lot yeah i give them my address like Damn. give them headquarters address <laughs> um and then like okay you check that you're at least 18 years old right. and then you enter your name you know you say like okay you're going to send me garbage like mm-hmm. you know emails and stuff yeah, you're okay submitting fine submitting to the garbage fine whatever i want a straw <laughs> give for me Pete's the straw sake. i'll take the garbage you have to enter one of those captchas like i'm not a robot okay yeah then you click pre-order now uh-huh. and every single day it comes back to me sorry you know we're sold out for today try again tomorrow <laughs> How many times 
times have you done this? Every morning since I found out about it. Oh, I try God. and get bright and early. I got to get up earlier, man. Okay. And so Your anyway, routine. no purchase necessary, void where prohibited, which I think these should be prohibited in the at least the lower 48. Uh, like I said, you got to be over 18, which mm-hmm. like, well, that's creepy. Um, it says while supplies last ends September 5th. 2023. Well, you only have a few more days of Well, I'm pretty this. sure that the, that people are going to hear this episode after September 5th. Oh, okay. So they won't be competition for you. They'll just have like a time, they'll just have a, a time capsule of my frustration. <laughs> my fingers are crossed for you. Disappointment. That you get this fleshy Someone's straw. Someone's got to get me one of these hot dog straws. Yeah. I asked Oscar Mayer. Personally? They, I went to his house. I asked him and they didn't answer me. Huh. Well, try again. Oscar, can you hear me? <laughs> they don't answer me. So anyway, I want a hot dog straw, and that, it's ridiculous. That is damn ridiculous. Yes, it is. The end. It should still be a real hot dog. Yes. But I got one for you if you got a second, if you're yes. done thinking about hot dogs. Never. No? Okay. Well, this one's online rumors about celebrities. Oh, I love those. I know you do, right? But most of the time, they're kind of nonsense. Uh-huh. You know, no, like like there's the one that Mr. Rogers was a sniper in Vietnam with uh, 150 confirmed kills. That's a rumor? That's a rumor, It's yes. not true. The story goes he was an assassin extraordinaire for either the Marines or the Navy SEALs. You'll see it go both ways. Mm-hmm. The rumor is so widespread online that the Navy SEALs have actually put out a statement that said, quote, we have to state it as false. Yes. Well, who would think such a thing? Well, good thing you asked that because you ever heard the one about Derek Jeter? Oh, boy. In the swag bags? I don't know. Refresh. So Derek Jeter was known to have, or the rumor is, is he was known to give out swag bags to all of his one night stands. Oh my God. Yeah. You hear that <laughs> this in like online circles amongst sports fans. The story goes that Derek Jeter, who was known to enjoy the New York nightlife, he would yeah. find someone fun and go, hey, you should come home with me. After their night together in the morning, the woman would wake up alone, Derek Jeter gone, and in his place would be a swag bag. And in the swag bag would be some gifts, you know, lotions, unguents, whatnot, and an autographed baseball. And a picture of J-Lo. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the woman perused her bag of goodies and looked at the Derek Jeter autographed baseball. A car home would be called for her. Oh, This is the story. God. And everybody believed it. And Derek Jeter has said, and I quote, it's a dumb story. And you really have to be dumber to believe it. He's like, I give them nothing. Yeah. So like I said, bunch wow. of wild celebrity rumors. So it's like as rumors. if like when you fly first class and they give you the little bag of like, you know, eye masks. Yes, exactly. But it's just plugs the Derek Jeter version. That, yeah. And then throw in the autographed like baseball. cologne. And yeah, wow. Now, some of these, there's a bunch of wild celebrity rumors out there, right? But some of them, sometimes, Elizabeth, uh-huh. the rumor, it really seems true. Okay. For instance, there's one that there's a celebrity who is a beloved TV dad, and he's long rumored to have been a major cocaine dealer in the 70s. Could these <laughs> online rumors be true? I hope so. I think you already know the answer to that. I think I do. <laughs> This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Que ridiculous. Oh, Elizabeth. Yes, now, that's me. Have you ever heard the rumors that long before he was America's sweetheart, Tim the Toolman Taylor, <laughs> in those hungry years before he was beloved Buzz Lightyear daring Space Ranger, long before he was the Archie Bunker reboot in The Last Man Standing, 
Tim Allen was an inmate in prison, doing hard time for pushing cocaine in the disco disco 70s. I did not know this. Really? It's a true story. I steer clear of Tim Allen news, I think. I kind of wondered about that. Well, I'm going to tell you all about it today. Okay. Now, just on the face of it, when I was doing this research, I was surprised by how many beloved former TV dads are now criminal TV dads. Oh. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's Bill Cosby, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the guy from 7th Heaven, uh, Stephen Collins. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I once worked with him. You did? Yeah, and with Jessica Biel, who was very nice. And that oldest kid from the show, Barry, that guy was a dick. Wait, all the... So wait, you say I worked with him on 7th Heaven? Yes, I was on 7th Heaven as an actor one time. Yeah, and I definitely got bad vibes from that dude on the set. So when that story broke, I was not surprised. Who were you on 7th Heaven? I owned a jazz club. Oh, my God. I just can't. I owned a jazz club on 7th Heaven. I just can't with this. (laughs) So in the 7th Heaven world, I own property. (laughs) No, have you yes. have you heard of that guy who on I see him on Instagram. I think he might have um he might do stuff on TikTok of like the the videos where he he recaps Seventh Heaven episodes. Oh yes, I'm familiar with this yeah. guy. I've always been secretly kind of hoping he would cover the episode I was in, although I don't think it has enough silliness for him to really mock. Well, I mean, just general Seventh Heaven silliness, yes. He could. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, the, the whole plot line I was involved in was pretty ridiculous. His name is Rob Anderson. There you That's go, Rob Anderson. So if you go to Instagram and mm-hmm. you look at Rob Anderson, which I think he's heartthrob Rob Anderson. Sure. I just looked this up super fast. Okay. Um. Anyway, he uh, he does really funny videos, and I'm going to send him a message and be like, if You should do this episode. Find the one with Zarin in it. <laughs> Owning a jazz club. It's awesome. God, now I got to find it. Yeah, so in the grand scheme of things, my point is when you compare Tim the Toolman Taylor, you know, Tim Allen, Mm -hmm. he really comes out on top compared to some of the other criminal TV dads. Well, yeah, because Seventh Heaven guy. Yeah, I mean, all he got busted, all Tim Allen got busted for was some Coke. Yeah. I mean, really. Now, I know you don't watch TV, Elizabeth. No, never seen it. Before I tell you about him, I got to ask how familiar are you with Tim Allen? Not really. I never watched uh, the Tool Time show. Was it? Yeah. Was it called Home Improvement? Home Improvement. Yeah. I never really watched it. I knew sort of like the language of it from uh-huh. you know pop culture, that sort of thing. Of the guy, like, oh, you know about does. his grunts. Yeah, yeah. And then okay. the dude at the fence. There's someone at a fence. Okay, yeah. I can. And Pam Anderson was on it. Yeah, I can. It's good. And so then far. one of what's the boy, uh, Jonathan Taylor? Yes, Jonathan Swift. Taylor Thomas. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Thomas Swift. Who recommended I used to, I eating the Irish? The Jonathan Taylor Thomas is going on here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then there was another boy on there. Yeah, I'm sure. There's Were a couple there, of them. A there's couple three boys? sons. Yeah. Oh. So the guy, he was as you have kind of pieced together this tool loving muscle car driving middle-class American yet also somehow a blue-collar hero what happened to the mom oh yes well let's see you know okay so home industrial accident Patricia Heaton yeah she she, there was a mom on the show yeah there was a mom Patricia Heaton oh I thought he was like a single dad oh god no oh no no why did I I don't know all the help he could get he had never watched it so I thought he was like a single dad just using tools no 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 (laughs) like basically in the in the late 90s this dude was a thinking man's Jeff Foxworthy right oh that's a a, (laughs) high bar or a low bar rather it's a bar right? he was the duck hunting man's sophisticated friend he was the blue-collar guy's TV surrogate, right? So okay. that's why he was Mr. Detroit before Eminem took away that title. Okay. Like, the guy was basically, before Duck Dynasty and Dirty Jobs, there was Tim Allen. That's his yeah. presence. That's his whole like, vibe, right? he had, like, blow-dried hair and stuff. Kind of. Not really, though. It, I don't it, know. So he, his sitcom, Home Improvement, it's a riff on Bob Vila's old, this old house. Yeah. Right? Great so show. He has on his uh, show, the show within the show, and that's it's a woodworking show. And so he plays this guy who 
he's got his woodworking show and he teaches you how to rebuild a window sash, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And the show, uh, you know, premiered in 1991, so it was like ran all through the 90s, lasted eight seasons, 204 episodes, hit syndication, right? But the other thing, you know, is the family. They were key to it, the Taylor family. No. Okay. Anyway, there's Papa Bear. That's Tim. Tim uh-huh. Taylor. Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Uh-huh. His wife Jill, who was alive. And okay. <laughs> there was the three boys. There was Brad and Randy and and Todathan. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I read that wrong. It's Mark. It's Mark. So the family is from Detroit, and uh, they live in the Detroit suburbs, right? Uh-huh. And the best part of the show you already keyed in on is the neighbor, Wilson. He okay. was the dude. He, he was played by a fence and a fishing hat. And a uh, volleyball? No, you never saw him. He was just, all you ever saw was the top of his hat. Mm-hmm. And so he's just always hidden by the fence. And so he basically is there to be like Tim's little voice. He's like, <laughs> he's the only real adult on the show. Like he would, he was like externalizes his little voice. And he's got this neighbor who tells him how to like fix whatever problem he's created. Okay. All right. And so then also there, you know, as I told you, there's the show Tool Time. He's got his host, Al, the guy with the beard. You need this streaking? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like his little buddy. Yes, exactly. And he kind of looks like uh, this old house Bob Vila. Exactly. Okay. It's, a, it's a very much a, like a, a nod. To the okay. Show, yeah, we'll yeah. Say, he wears a lot of uh, flannel plaid. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was. He was. He was him and grunge in the nineties. They were LL Bean. They were giving all mad LL Bean <laughs> flannel. Now, Pamela Anderson, as you pointed out, was on the show. She played the Tool Girl. Because it was the early '90s. That was her only name. The, she had a name, a oh. character name. Uh, I can't. I don't remember. It's like it, Tank actually. Girl, but Tool Girl. <laughs> tool Girl. Yeah, she's. Yeah, she was the show's Tool Girl. Anyway, she wrote about the show in her memoir, Love Pamela, which came out recently. Yeah. She quote. She's wrote, an interesting character. That Pamela is, dude. Yeah. I had got to give it up to her. Her progression as a person. She's interesting. Very yeah. interesting. She said, and I quote: On the first day of filming, I walked out of my dressing room, and Tim was in the hallway in his robe. He opened his robe and flashed me quickly, oh, completely okay. naked underneath. He said it was only fair because he had seen me naked now we're even i laughed uncomfortably now oh so after he showed off his personal like the shortcomings, rage building inside of me right go continue <laughs> yeah. bam anderson said that tim allen then quote ran back to his room and he was embarrassed all day and acting like a little giddy schoolboy. yeah right oh the 90s yeah, when a man's <laughs> shortcomings was a constant worksite <laughs> issue in hollywood <laughs> So Tim Allen, he as I told you, you called it. He was known for his stand-up grunts, his catchphrase, "Men are pigs." This oh, was that was his, his catchphrase. That was, it was in his stand-up. Oh, he, in, he his had a, in his stand-up, he had this whole thing about yeah, men are pigs. He did all like grunting stuff. Oh, God. So he tried to embody this vibe, but uh-huh. in like a healthy, safe, this is normal kind of way. Right. Right now, <laughs> normalizing the misogyny. Go for it. To be fair to Tim Allen, he claims his whole incident that I just told you about with the robe never happened. He told Variety, "No, it never happened. I would never do such a thing." And uh, in February this year, Pam Anderson. Re- responded to Tim Allen's recent denial and she said quote he has to deny it because look at the times we're in if he said oh yeah I did it he'd be a lot of these stories are just the tip of the iceberg so oh wow. <laughs> you know I gotta bet she has got some stories to oh, tell that girl. didn't make it into her book I which I've not read she could probably write a few memoirs like, I would imagine yeah, just the show barbed wire just that one alone <laughs> that deserves its alone. own book so anyway Home Improvement was a very 90s show right yeah. a very 90s male oh, yeah. star it sets the tempo the culture and as you are about to learn the male star he may have been feeling a bit invulnerable and a bit invincible after he'd beaten the odds and become you know, he'd beaten the odds not once, but twice. He had done the near impossible. He'd become a major Hollywood star without any family connections. No Nepo baby, this yeah, Tim Allen, yeah. right? He came out of Detroit. But he also faced life in prison as a cocaine kingpin, and he managed to finesse his way out of that, too. Oh, my God. This is like, that's winning the lottery twice. I guess. He was facing life in prison, and he went on to become a huge star. 
Wild, right? Wow. Now, not many people know that Tim Allen was a Coke dealer, but some do. The story is usually just a blurb in like a Hollywood stars before they were famous story, like you (laughs) find on BuzzFeed or whatever. Right, stars, they're just like us. Exactly. They've been busted (laughs) for Coke, too. Now, I went out and I did the research for you, Elizabeth. Thank you. I found the goods, the details that rarely go reported, right? And do you know where I found these details? Uh, I don't know. In an appeal in a federal court for one of his co-defendants. I should have known. I should have known. Always go to the court documents. But anyway, so there's a big reason why most of the details of the story aren't on the internet. Mm-hmm. Tim Allen changed his name. Oh. Yes. Can you guess his birth name? Uh, Timothon. Very close. Tim uh, Dick. Stop. Or rather, Timothy Dick. Born in Denver, Colorado in 1953. What a, what a dick. He grew up in an idyllic mid-century American family. He lived that post-war prosperity dream, you know, that birthed the ideal of a middle-class suburban America. He lived that. Uh-huh. He was that kid in the jeans, watching Westerns on TV, growing up to drive a 60s muscles car when it was brand new, and in his case, grow his hair long and do drugs. Yeah, but sure. not like a hippie. He did it like the 70s style. The dirt bags. Yeah, cocaine, baby. Now, Tim oh, Allen, uh, he was no stranger to tragedy, though, so you should feel little sorry for him. There was one mm. shock in particular Try that me. would shape his life's course. When he was 11, his father died in a car accident. It was a devastating That's blow terrible. to little Tim Allen's yeah, world, that right? Yeah, terrible. And as he said, and I quote, I loved my father more than anything. He was a tall, strong, funny, really engaging guy, so I enjoyed his company, his smell, sensibility, discipline, sense of humor, all the fun stuff we did together. I couldn't wait for him to come home. See, like I said, total mid-century American yeah, dream. Totally. He had a great, healthy father he loved. His father was the one who gave him the love of cars, right? So that made it actually yeah. extra painful that a car would you know, claim yeah, his father's life. Yeah, absolutely life. horrific. The driver was a drunk driver, so it's doubly tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Allen has said, and I quote, a car cro- crossed two lanes of traffic, flipped, landed on my dad's car. I don't blame cars. My dad loved cars. I don't have many memories of my dad. The love of cars is all I have of him, really. Right? Oof. Starting to feel a little bad, no? Yeah, I am. Okay, I feel well, bad for him. He was lucky in that after he lost his father, a replacement father stepped in. His mom reconnected with her high school boyfriend. Ooh, la yeah, la. they started talking. They eventually married. Oh, yeah. wow. So Tim Allen, he said the guy was a mensch. He took on his, his family of him and his couple brothers. They all moved together in the suburb outside of Detroit. So he moved now from Denver to Detroit. Uh-huh. Just like his show, Home Improvement, which takes place in a suburb of Detroit. And okay. so I guess in the show, he was playing his stepfather. Interesting. Really? It's kind of wild, right? Anyway, over time, Tim Allen... a version of his father that never got to be realized. Oh, look at you, the poet. Yes. Yeah, I like seeing your ideas better. Analyzing this right now. Anyway, Tim Allen, he's able to recover from the tragic loss. He grows up he goes on to graduate from high school, goes off to college. He attends Central Michigan University. He doesn't finish there because he transfers to Western Michigan. While he was there, he'd meet his future wife. And that's also where he met someone else new to him, someone who would also shape his future, Mrs. Cocaine. <laughs> and she had plans for Tim Dick's future. Okay, let's take a little break, Elizabeth. And yes. after these messages, we'll get into the real nitty-gritty of his days as Tim the Coke Man Allen. Yeah. Back in two and two. rant for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages you can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends random people can't see it Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. 
You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Elizabeth. Hey, I got to ask you something really Oh, please, quickly. go. Hit me. What was the name of your jazz club on 7th Heaven? It didn't have a name. What? I know. It was just... Well, actually, that's not true. It did have a name. What oh, my it? God. It did have a name. <laughs> called? Uh, give me a second. Let me think of the dialogue, because I say it in the name. The so-and-so is proud to to you know, uh, bring to the stage Mr. So-and-so. Like, I do say the name. I totally did cannot remember. Did you do a jazz cat voice? I may have done a little <laughs> bit of a jazz cat. <laughs> no, like, I was younger, so it was... Uh, what goes that, producer Dave? Was your character's name Dizzy? <laughs> to me, he was. To me, that's who he was. Dizzy the Heartbreaker. Yeah, Dizzy the Heartbreaking Club Owner. But I gave that kid a chance. Well, think on, let it, think on it and try and I'll figure percolate, out the name. I'll percolate, see if I can yeah, think percolate, of it. Percolate, percolate. Okay, so where were we? That's right. Uh, Tim Sorry. the Coke Man Taylor. Yeah. Different tale of Hollywood glamour. I just couldn't hold it in. Yeah, <laughs> so at first, our man Tim Allen, he was just a Cokehead, just a college Cokehead. But he liked Coke more than the typical Cokehead. So he's like, you know, I need more access to this cocaine. So he decided, ah, I'm going to sell some. That way I get a little some for me. My Coke is free. If I sell enough, he's like, this works out good for Tim. Do something you love. You never work a day in your life. <laughs> exactly. Find the job you want, <laughs> dress for. I don't know. Anyway, so being in college in the early or mid-70s, it, it was easy to move small amounts of cocaine. 
There mm-hmm. was a market, you know, because Coke was back, baby. <laughs> you know, seriously, like, not since the 1920s and 30s had Coke been it. You yeah. know, back that was when, you know, back when Freud was a cocaine magnet. Yeah. That's when cocaine had its thing. Right? Yeah. That was his big 1920s, 30s era. Then it falls away in the war. Meth kind of pops up in the war because it helped keep soldier awake. But then it's all about like heroin in the 50s, Vietnam heroin. And then finally in the 70s, Miami starts going, hey, you want some yeah. cheap cocaine? And boom, it explodes across the country. And all of a sudden, cocaine is back. And, and then it's the right 70s. there for the go-go 80s. Yes, and Tim Allen was right there for it. He was Gross. like, dude, I love the cocaine. Gross. Anyway, he eventually graduated from having a little extra coke to being a coke dealer. So now he's just straight up coke dealer. Then he yeah. starts hanging out with the sort of people that you meet when you deal cocaine in Detroit in the 70s. Oh, God, right? I can only imagine. See, the amounts he was selling and the amounts that he was making in profits, they both keep climbing. He's like, this is good. I'm good at this. I'm going to do this for a while. Yeah. But as he claims, he was still trying to get over the shocking loss of his father. Okay. So he liked Coke mostly because it, it left him both lifted and numb. And that was a feeling he was going uh-huh, for. Uh-huh. So that devil drug cocaine, it starts slowly eroding his future without him paying attention because he's lifted and numb. Right out from <laughs> underneath him, there goes his future. In the meantime, he becomes this Detroit cocaine kingpin, just kind of sleepwalks right into uh-huh. it. Now try to imagine Tim Allen walking into a cocaine deal in 1970s Detroit. Like I like to picture him. I know it's wrong, but like in a pimp suit, which I like I said, I know it's wrong, but none of this is right. So he has a feather in his fur fedora. He has a bird on his shoulder. He's got a cane with like a goldfish swimming in the glass ball that's the handle. Just let your imagination run with Elizabeth. See, I'm just imagining him in the 70s walking in and like a polo shirt tucked into his dad jeans, his 90s dad jeans. <laughs> no, honestly, he was more like blue jeans, stained shirt, and like, you know, a button-down kind of madras yeah, that, no, kind of, you know, the look. That makes sense, yeah. Right? So anyway, dude was 25 years old, and he was months away from losing it all. Now, just for perspective's sake, yeah. what were some of his contemporaries doing at that same age? Let's take businessman Mark Cuban. He also had a, you know, a wandering uh, youth. He was a bartender in Dallas. He's recalled his days in his book, How to Win at the Sport of Business. Quote, when I got to Dallas, I was struggling, sleeping on the floor with six guys in a three-bedroom apartment. I used to drive around, look at the big houses, and imagine, what would it be like to live there and use that as motivation? So there he is, sleeping on the floor with six dudes in a three-bedroom apartment. <laughs> okay. No, it's not quite as bad as cocaine, but it sounds like it. <laughs> it sounds bad. <yes. laughs> anyway, so that's you know, it's basically normal twenty-five-year-old guy behavior. So they, Mark Cuban and uh, Tim Tim Apple—they're the same age, roughly. Okay. I mean, doesn't not exactly, but a little older. Uh, but she's also a fellow future inmate, Martha Stewart. What was she doing when she was twenty-five? Martha, was she a model then? Good call, Elizabeth. Oh, old inmate five five one seven zero dash oh five four. God bless. When she was twenty-five years old, future inmate, street name M Diddy. She was doing uh, stay-at-home mothering. Oh. Yeah, she had, oh, you were correct, though. She'd spent five years working as a stockbroker. Yeah. Before that, she was a fashion model where she worked for Chanel and others. Right. So, boom. She had done stockbroking, fashion modeling, all that, and then, boom, became a stay-at-home mother. I love her. Yeah, yeah exactly. And she, I, I think she then had to start a catering business, and that was, or she started one she because did. it aligned with her She started a catering business life. after she'd been home for a year. She's yeah. like, I need to do something. Starts her catering business, which becomes Martha Stewart's empire that Amazing. we know of today. Okay, Amazing. back to Tim Allen. Yes. What was he doing at 25? Call him Tim apple well we already know he was doing cocaine so well, yeah, we got okay, that yeah, one that's done what he was up to we also know he was he was uh he was good enough at that to become a detroit coke dealer so 
Now, you may be wondering, okay, sure, Zaren, Tim Allen was a Detroit Coke dealer. But what kind of Detroit Coke dealer was he? A really comedic one. Great question, Elizabeth. I, I like this. You brought your A-game today. <laughs> in, in crime parlance, he was a not good at being a Coke dealer, Coke dealer. Surprise. Like, I would say that he was bad at it. Yeah. Yeah. So the year was 1978. Future Tim Allen was just months away from being busted and losing his life to a prison sentence. Now, as I told you, there are a few details online. But I found the co-defendant's federal appeal, which laid out Tim Allen's whole cocaine deal days. Uh-huh. Okay, Elizabeth, time to crack that bad boy open. You ready? Yes. Okay, here are the facts as testified in court. There are two men, Charles Willett and Donald Cobb. They were big-time coke dealers. Real deal. Their, their plug for cocaine was a man named Dennis McCarthy. You'll notice that there are no Spanish names in this so far. No. Welcome to the Detroit cocaine scene in the 1970s. Yeah. There's a lot of white guys. So Dennis McCarthy from Holland, Michigan, nicknamed the Tulip City. It's a suburb oh, of I Grand you Rapids. I he was nicknamed the Tulip. And then you, oh, <laughs> no, man, just the took city. the wind out of my sails. So the suburb of Grand Rapids, Michigan is, is Holland. Holland, Michigan. Yeah. Right. See, the other guys, Willett and Cobb, they live up in Traverse, Michigan, which is a smaller, unincorporated town in Michigan. It's up at the western tip of the Upper Peninsula. Yeah. So, Willett and Cobb, they would charter a plane and fly down to Holland, where they would meet their hookup. There they'd buy a pound of cocaine, or whatever you, you know, whatever, <laughs> however much. Then they'd fly back to the Upper Peninsula, where they'd sell out that pound of cocaine. Even though that's a rural, underpopulated area, this was the 70s. So the cocaine sells itself. Well, I think it doesn't even have to be it's the 70s. You'd be surprised what goes on in rural areas. But I'm saying cocaine was still kind of a new drug. So yeah. It had made it up yeah. to the Upper Peninsula where they were able to sell, like, the, you know, it's basically I'm saying it wasn't just Studio 54 types who were lusting after the sure. white lady. They were selling a quarter pound of cocaine every two to three days. Wow. See, that's what I said. A thirst. Wow. Anyway, Willett, he hears about this new Coke supplier. He's thinking, I can get better deals. The big players from Florida, he's told. Everybody knows that's where the cocaine is coming from. So yeah. he's this dude is so big, he's only known by initials, MW. Okay. So the Coke dealer McCarthy tells Willett about this supplier, and he's going to come up to Michigan for a visit, and you guys got to get on this. May 23rd, 1978, Willett charters a plane, flies down from Traverse to Holland. His supplier, McCarthy, picks him up at the local airport. They all drive back to McCarthy's apartment. They down for the night. I like to imagine that the Coke dealers like, had like pajamas laid out for them. Oh, yeah, totally. And he's like, you know, very thoughtful, very tasteful, <laughs> Little very modern. Twin beds. Yeah, very Martha Stewart. Yeah. Anyway, the next day they drive down to Kalamazoo, Michigan. They hit up the home of the new supplier. This dude's name is Bradley Schrock, right? Mm-hmm. His initials are not MW. That's because he is not that guy. But he is tight with that guy and he is from Florida. Anyway, he's not the big supplier. He's the big supplier's contact. So he's like, talk to me, I'll talk to MW, right? Yeah. So Schrock promises to drive Will and McCarthy over to the closest Red Roof Inn for a cocaine deal. God, I love the red. I, I, I've never been to one. I just love referencing it. Oh, my God. If you're going to do a coke deal in a small to medium-sized town yeah. or city, it's happening it at a red roof inn. It has to be in. at a red roof inn. And if you're staying at a red roof inn, you are either a criminal or you are dating one. Like That's just the rule. <laughs> anyway, so they rock up at this red roof inn. I've been to plenty. I can tell you that's Have the you? truth. And they meet this dude, MW, and he, he is the supplier, right? He's got a briefcase with him, right? It's like an 80s police show. There's like a cheap motel, a briefcase of money some tester vials of cocaine. It's all white guys. It's just like, what's going on here? Anyway, MW cracks open the briefcase. He indeed has a ton of cash and a bunch of cocaine. He tells the interested parties it'll be $4,000 an ounce. Now, let me translate that for you, Elizabeth, since there is about 28 and a one-third gram uh, in an ounce. I know this all from my pot growing days. That's basically, it works out that (laughs) $4,000 an ounce breaks down to about $140 
a gram. Okay. Right? That's expensive cocaine. Okay. But these dudes were down. They were like, yeah, we'll take it. Detroit prices or whatever. So they tested the vials for the purity of the coke. The color was right. They buy a trial gram. Then they go back to Schrock's motel room. He's also got a room at the same Red Roof Inn. So they're like, yeah, let's go rail up some coke. They try it themselves. They're like, whoo, surreal deal. <laughs> they go back. They're like, knock, knock, knock. They make a future arrangement for a cocaine deal. A big one. And they fly back to Traverse, Michigan. This is where the mouse of the jungle takes down the lion. Oh. Right? Ready? Boy. The Charter Plane Company. These these folks that they've been growing suspicious of these local flyboys and their fast ass lifestyle. Yeah. So the bookkeeper from the Charter Plane Company, she phoned the state police with a hot tip. And they're like, oh yeah. Tells the cops they're fairly certain some local boys are smuggling drugs on their charter plane. Oh boy. Boom. Now they got attention. The whole operation's under a microscope. Things go bad for Wilton Cobb because they hadn't just chartered planes, they had had pilots on the planes. They couldn't fly these small planes, so they had these pilots. Yeah. So now they have witnesses that overhear them talking, and they know their delivery schedules. They have, oh like, it's terrible. This is bad news for the wannabe cocaine kingpins. Worst news is that Michigan State Police coordinated with the charter company, and they arranged for their next flight to be piloted by undercover cops. So now they are <laughs> oh totally screwed. By June, <laughs> it takes, like, a couple weeks. Willett figures out he's under surveillance. He's like, those are cops. Those are not yeah, pilots. So yeah. what does he do, Elizabeth? I don't know. He rats himself out. He goes directly oh. to the FBI. And he goes, I, I want to confess. He confesses everything. He doesn't wow. even know if he's under like real investigation. Oh, so it's before he even like no. not gonna broker a deal. No, just he like, just goes to them and just goes, Hey, like, I'm, I'm a, a cocaine citizen. dealer and I'd like oh to tell God. you about my friends. Oh, so he he flips on everyone else involved. He's like, I'll tell you anything you want to know, as long as I can avoid charges. The yeah. FBI are like, Who who are you? But his plan works. He's able to like tell them who he is and, and certify his plan. And so he flips. He becomes an undercover informant. Now he, for a contact, he gets this dude Michael Pfeiffer, and he's an undercover cop who becomes his handler. Right. So Willett smooths an intro for this cop Pfeiffer. He introduces him to his partner Cobb and to his supplier McCarthy. The undercover cop he gets to work. He starts arranging deals. He also wants to meet all the other dealers in this coke network. He's yeah. like, yeah, I just really want to get into business with you guys. Hey. Yeah. Everyone's like, cool. Now you may be wondering, Zaren, I'm not hearing the name Tim Allen in this. Elizabeth, that's a great that's question. because his name was Tim Dick. This is where he, good memory. This is Thank where you. it comes in. Old Tim Dick, Tim Allen, low-level local dealer, college dealer. He would get supplied by McCarthy, who knows the Florida contact, Schrock and MW. Uh -huh. So Tim Allen, he, he also has a partner in the cocaine business. It's his roommate, uh, Gerald Mead. So they live together. They push together. They just have their lives you know, entwined. Yeah. So Jerry Mead, Tim Dick, the running product like a student film version of Scarface, right? So <laughs> in July 19. 78, their new supplier, M.W., shows up at Jerry Mead's house, and he brings with him six ounces of cocaine. He tells Mead and Tim Allen it's theirs to sell. He's even willing to front them so they can pay him later. And they're like, oh, thank God, because, you know, we don't really have money like that. So they agree to the deal. Yeah. And he says, we'll take a, we'll just take two of your six ounces. We can't, we couldn't push all six ounces. They settle on a price. The price, $1,900 an ounce. So they're like, oh. They got a better price than the original that we yeah. mentioned from the Red Roof Inn, right? Now, <laughs> Mead and Tim Dick, they get busy. They start flipping the two ounces as fast as they can. The fastest way they think to do it is to sell it all to Schrock. And I'm like, these people all know each other. I don't know how this plays out, but yeah. he doesn't have cash on them. So he promises to pay a grand now and the rest later. So he takes two ounces. Schrock then goes to the supplier, McCarthy, uh -huh. and he sells them to he sells the cocaine to McCarthy. He works his way back up the other chain. Okay. And he says, send, he says, send the money <laughs> to Jerry Mead and Tim Dick. So now their they're connect is sending the money for cocaine that they're hookup. It's all backwards, it's all right? 
right? backwards. A few days pass. There's $1,975 waiting for them at Western Union. Deal is done and paid for. Next. They like this. All right? So as I said, at this point, Tim Allen, Gary Mead, they're not just Coke dealers and partners. They're living together in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah. So they're running like a mom-and-pop Coke shop, yeah. right? For, <laughs> for college kids and blue-collar yeah. heroes. All right? So Farm they're getting the table. fronted all this cocaine. There's suppliers coming around, picking up the cash later. It, they're making this work. They don't know that there's that there's a, there is a major investigation going on with this. So they become yeah. of major interest because they're moving a lot of Coke at the, at the exact wrong time to be these right. star buyers or star sellers, rather. Summer rolls on August 9th, 1978. McCarthy phones Tim Allen, a.k.a. Tim Dick, and tells the future TV dad he's got a buddy who wants to buy four ounces of Coke from him. Tim Allen's like, all right, bet. When? Where? What's the deal? McCarthy tells him, we'll come to you, right? So he brings with him the buyer who is the undercover cop Pfeiffer. <sighs> they walk into Tim Allen's place, which he shared with Jerry Mead. They all go upstairs. The supplier, MW, joins them a little later. He brings with him a thermos. Everyone's like, oh, what's in the thermos, bro? <laughs> soup. After a moment of intrigue, he's like, yeah, just my soup and my lunch. You know? <laughs> he untwists the thermos cap. He opens it and he pours into his hand the contents. His waiting hand catches three quarters pounds of cocaine. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then they did something that surprised me. Tim Allen decides to cut the coke right in front of the buyer. The guy who's going to buy the Coke, he's like, let me just cut this for you. So he cuts the cocaine. So he puts in like baby laxative or whatever white powder he's using to cut it. Oh, my it. God. This is 1978 Detroit. I don't know what to tell you, Elizabeth. <laughs> and then Tim Allen cuts the cocaine. Then he and his partner sell it to the undercover cop for $3,900 and $3,980, right? <laughs> Everyone's satisfied. This is such a mess. <laughs> exactly. MW, he leaves with his four ounces of Coke from Tim Allen that had been fronted to him as per usual. And he's like, oh, yeah, see if you can move this, right? So Tim Allen's like, yeah, I'll, I'll try see if I can get some more. Here's the thing, Elizabeth. Remember what I said about Tim Allen was not a good Coke dealer? Yeah. You're starting to see it? I, right? I, it's I like, am. Who are you selling to? You're selling to the buyer, the seller? Like, what's going I'm on? I'm so confused And by you're also, all. you're cutting your Coke in front of your buyer? Like, that's is what it, I don't get. They don't know how to cut the coke. I mean, are you are you charging them? But I don't wait, get it. Wait, didn't the buyer he the wait? You said MW was the one with the thermos. Yeah. So, but he's giving it to McCarthy. So McCarthy was his former supplier. Uh -huh. So he's getting it from this new supplier, and then Schrock, who knows McCarthy, has it go to Tim Allen and then go back up the chain to him, and then I'm, it makes no. It sense. makes absolutely no sense. It makes exactly. Yeah. So and they're breaking like two of Biggie's crack commandments. Oh, it's just like so he's many. living with his business partner, and it just yeah. makes no sense. Anyway, yeah. so like I said, not a good coke dealer days pass he's not able to sell this coke he's been fronted most recently because apparently he only has the one buyer the guy's like i already got the coke so he's like try to find some college kids they can't they aren't able to move it now he as i said he's got these ounces of cocaine he's trying to maybe he could work a deal so this is when the supplier mccarthy calls him he's like hey you and your partner jerry mead i got a good news for your you and your coke problem i got a buyer <laughs> who wants a big purchase and the guy's like who is it? he's like oh he wants to buy a pound and a half of cocaine Jerry Mead and McCarthy, they settle on a price, $42,000 for a pound and a half of cocaine. Wow. Bad news for them was the, the buyer was the undercover cop, Pfeiffer. So, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a little break. And then after that, oh, no. I'll tell you what went down at the Kalamazoo Airport that would forever change the course of Tim the Coke Man Allen's life. Yes. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. 
It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, great, Elizabeth. All right. We're back. All right. You ready for some more cocaine? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Tim Allen and his partner, Jerry Mead, they'd set up their $42,000 Coke deal with an undercover cop. So the deal. That's a lot of money now. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of money then. Exactly. It's a big deal. It's a lot of money. So it'll either be a huge payday for them or they'll catch a prison sentence. Yeah. They got it's a coin flip. So as it turns out, the state of Michigan had just passed a law for mandatory minimum sentences for drug dealers. Uh-oh. Tim Allen, due to the size and scope of his drug deal, was facing a mandatory life in prison sentence if he was busted. No oh exceptions. God. So the cocaine cowboys of Detroit, they had her kept their plan very simple. They decided they would meet at a prearranged spot in a very public space. I don't know. They thought that would keep them safe. Tim Allen, he picked the Kalamazoo airport. That's how he'd seen it done in a TV show. So he's like, oh, I want to do it like I saw in that TV show. He loves show. the TV. What year yeah. is this? 1978. Okay. So, so yeah, it was like Hawaii 5 like, or something. Nixon's war on drugs. Oh, yeah. And, we're yeah, deep yeah. into all that. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, they have a date and time set. What happens next? Obviously, we know it did not go well, but 
Rather than me just tell you about Elizabeth, I'd like you to close your eyes. My eyes are closed. And picture it. You are currently in the Kalamazoo Airport. The date is October 2nd. Outside the airport, there's a crispness in the air. It's that refreshing feel of autumn. Inside the airport, it is rather quiet. It's a small regional airport between flights, a few announcements, some travelers, but mostly quiet. You are there on a lark. You're flying to Bismarck, North Dakota. You have a plan to meet a local bear expert who's promised to take you out into the field so that you can hug a bear. Yes! It's the 70s. Anything is possible. Yes. And if you have some time to yourself after leaving the Linda Rodstant tour as her tour manager. Oh my God, yes. So as you sit in the fiberglass teardrop seat in the waiting area, you flip through a copy of Life magazine. But really, it's just a cover for you to do your people watching. I am loving my life right now. You've been watching the middle-aged woman behind the ticket counter. You're convinced that she has a crush on the guy who's working as the airport announcer because Every time there's an announcement, she smiles just a little. Now, though, right now you're mostly focused on two shaggy-haired, mustached college kids. They came in together, but they're seated across the airport from each other. They both keep looking around like they're waiting for someone or or for something. The brown-haired, mustachioed college kid, his name is Tim. You've heard the other one call him that. Now, he apparently, you don't know this, saw a TV show where some criminals made an exchange like this, so that's why he's here doing this. But you don't know all that. You just see him looking super nervous. Then there's the other college kid seated across the tiny airport. He signals to the brown-haired one, who then pops up. He takes a piece of luggage with him, and he walks over to the luggage lockers. He opens it up, slides the bag in, takes the key, palms it, looks around again. You look back the other direction, you see there's a man who's just entered the tiny, quiet airport. He's wearing a straw fedora. It's a summertime hat. It's October. Whatever. He has on short sleeves and a tie. Once again, okay, whatever. He looks like he sells boats for a living. (laughs) The college kids walk right up to him. He doesn't really say anything to them. Instead, he just reaches out his hand for a handshake. You're curious how these two groups know each other. The college kids don't look like they're really in the market for a cabin cruiser. But anyway, you do spot that he slyly passes the luggage locker key to the guy in the straw fedora, and then the two men part, almost wordlessly. The college kid walks over to the guy he came in with, while the other guy walks over to the luggage locker. The guy in the straw hat opens it, he takes out the bag, he quickly unzips it, checks the contents, and then he nods. And boom, out of nowhere, in rushes state police. They swarm the airport, guns drawn, barking orders at the two shaggy-headed college kids. You are loving this. Oh, am I? It's a real-deal drug bust in Kalamazoo. God bless it. As Tim Allen would later tell it, next thing I observed was a gun in my face. Oh, my! I love this. So you just witnessed the drug bust that would change Tim Allen's life. Now that he's officially busted, his life and his future are over. He's staring down a life sentence behind bars in a Michigan prison. So what does Tim Allen do, Elizabeth? Does he sing like a bird? That is how he ended up becoming the <laughs> Tim Allen beloved TV dad. He did what we in the streets call snitching. He snitched as hard as he could. He snitched to anyone who would listen. And did it work? Apparently. You bet it did. (laughs) According to a retired FBI agent who worked the case, quote, Mr. Allen was very reluctant to spend the rest of his life in prison, so he decided to play ball. The information he gave helped build several other cases. After the entire ordeal, and to his credit, he obviously went on to turn things around for himself quite well. (laughs) FBI talk. FBI. So what did the retired officer mean when he said what information Tim Allen gave up uh, they were able to make several other cases? Like Oh, MW, baby. Like, they went after Martha Washington. <laughs> you may be thinking, how hard exactly did Tim Allen snitch? Hard yeah. is my guess. He, he To well, avoid a life sentence? Hard. I'll put it to you this way. He wasn't approached to snitch. It was his idea. 
Oh, of course. Tim Allen approached the cops and was like, psst, psst, who do I have to talk to around here to snitch? <laughs> so eventually he finds the right person, and you called it. He sang like a stool pigeon. He sang like a songbird in prison pajamas. He told the prosecutors everything he knew about the Kalamazoo drug scene. He told the cops who sold what, who lived where, who knew who, where they got their stuff from, everything. Wow. And it worked. The prosecutors agreed to drop the most serious charges against him. But not only that, they agreed to not prosecute him in Michigan and instead turn him over to the feds. That meant he couldn't be sentenced under Michigan's new life sentence for drug dealers. Yeah. So Tim Allen avoided a mandatory life in prison by snitching on like 20 or 30 other well, people. Well, good for him. Now, I may not respect snitches, right? But in his crew of ne'er-do-wells, I don't hate this choice. No, not at all. I mean, these I mean, dudes, they're not the mafia. This is not like Omerta, we got a code of silence. Yeah, there's this no is code. Just four Michigan, three to four Michigan numbskulls. And I'm going to tell you, they would do it just as fast on him. So oh, yeah. I say be the first save yourself the in this instance. I mean, Hell yeah. it's like how Modest Mouse once sang, This plane is definitely crashing! <laughs> you remember? I do. Anyway, Tim Allen, he pleads guilty <laughs> to a lighter trafficking charges in federal court. And then when he sentenced the judge in his case, Patrick McCauley, was apparently one of his first fans because he told Tim Allen that he expected him to, quote, one day be a very successful comedian. Judge McCauley. Wait, so was he already doing stand up? I don't was know. Was he testing stuff out on the stand? Yeah, like, is he doing or? like a quick five in court? Uh-huh. And he's like a jailbird, Jerry Seinfeld. Like, have you ever noticed how cokeheads will call you at all hours of the day? I mean, don't you have a job? But I guess that question answers itself. Am I right? Oh, God. No? No? Anyway, well. Did he do the grunt, grunt, grunt yeah. on the stand? Yeah. He's like, men are pigs, right, judge? Macaulay <laughs> 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 told Tim Allen that he saw, quote, a remarkable talent. Don't waste it. And then he also told him, be a man, do your time, then come out and do what you do best. Huh. Yeah. So despite getting out of this life sentence, Tim Allen had still reason to fear for his life because he had snitched on everyone in the Kalamazoo cocaine scene and they had friends who were already on the inside. Yeah. As one cop uh, put it, Tim Allen, quote, helped authorities indict 20 people in the drug trade and resulted in the conviction and sentencing of four major drug dealers. So he had four major enemies at least (gasps) and 16 others that were just minor enemies. Yeah. So of those 20 people catching charges, how many of them would have a shot at him? Well, he had no idea. So he's like, what are we going to do about this? I won't even know what they look like. The judge in the federal case who had this professional crush on Tim Allen. He's like, I got you, boo. It's like, you are so funny. Yeah, like we don't want that funny to be hurt. You're so funny. So he made sure that Tim Allen was incarcerated not in a Michigan prison, but instead sent him over the border to Minnesota. That way he'd be safe from revenge, because I guess like their cocaine beefs don't cross the border. So So after all this extra help and consideration from the judge in the federal time was still no easy time for Tim Allen, because he was not ready for prison life. Yeah. He said, when I went to jail, reality hit so hard that it took my breath away. Away, took my stance away, took my strength away. I was there buck naked, humiliated, sitting in my own crap and urine. Th- this is a metaphor. My ego had run off. Your ego is the biggest coward. So eventually he, he's able to confront <laughs> this his. Is a he just drops that in the middle. Yeah. He's like, okay, no, I really actually, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> a little bit, all right? It's mostly urine. <laughs> I mean, but I kind of pooped my pants a little, but first, that was it. First day only. <laughs> So eventually he confronts his ego, he grabs hold of the reins of his soul, and he gives it a hard yank, and he's like, quote, The law was passed to teach people a lesson. Selling more than 650 grams of cocaine got you life in prison. They thought it would be a deterrent. It wasn't. I was put in a holding cell with 20 other guys. We had to crap in the same crapper in the middle of the room, and I just told myself, I can't do this for seven and a half years. I want to kill myself. 
So then he's like, he's you know, really focused on poop. Yes, he's very much a he's cop, very poop a, forward. Uh, yeah, copper light or copper. What is it? Copperphilic, a copperphile. That's yeah. what he is. Yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. so he hear that prison is tough as hell, right? And yeah. it, it, it is. It but, is. Yeah. And it's also a great place to catch up in your, on your reading. That's and, very true. And your too. correspondence. I mean, very there's true. some benefits, right? Yeah. Well, he also found it was a great place to learn to shut the hell up. Yeah, (laughs) he said, and I quote, I just shut up and did what I was told. It was the first time ever that I did what I was told and I played the game. I learned literally how to live day by day and I learned how to shut up. Up. You definitely want to learn how to shut up. So, <laughs> that's a good those are the big lessons. Crap people. and shutting up. That's what you took away from prison. <laughs> On June 12, 1981, after serving two years and four months, he was released from federal prison. He gets he finds work at a Detroit ad agency. He starts doing stand-up comedy at the local comedy castle in Detroit. Mm-hmm. But by then he was a new man. He was becoming the Tim Allen that we know. And, he, and I quote, I was funny before that. Prison grew me up. I was an adolescent that woke up too early when my father was killed, and I stayed at that angry adolescent level. Yeah. Which sounds about accurate. Now, in 1989, he books a comedy special on Showtime. Disney head haunches Michael Eisner, Jeffrey Katzenberg, later co-founds DreamWorks with Spielberg, David Geffen. They see this special. They fall out laughing. I'm like, oh, how men are pigs. I love this guy, right? They're like, we need to. They see dollar signs. Like, we need to make a show with him. So Tim Allen's show, Home Improvement, debuted in 1991. After that, you know his story. Now, in an interview, after he'd become famous, Tim Allen, beloved TV dad and former cokehead, he offered this life advice. If you were told the end at the beginning, you wouldn't have to travel. Elizabeth, I have to disagree with him because life is about how you yeah, get to yeah. where you're going rather than the destination mm-hmm. you arrive at. The end, it doesn't matter at all, really. I mean, yeah. exhibit A, Tim Allen's whole life. Like, <laughs> what a wild ride. And it was far more interesting than what you'd expect from someone who was the star of Wild Hogs. <laughs> right? I mean, if yeah. I just told you the star of Wild Hogs, you don't expect this right story. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> So what's our ridiculous takeaway here? Oh, my God. Uh, you know, you want to become a professional stand-up comedian, do a little time in the uh, FCI, in the yeah. feds. And learn how to shut up. Learn how to <laughs> shut up. Yeah, I like that. There That's you go. What's your ridiculous takeaway? Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm <gasps> The caught. angels are singing. I know. Producer Dave, could we just capture this moment for a second? This feels so good. Elizabeth asked me what my ridiculous... finally cares about ridiculous... someone other than herself. <laughs> I know. Wow. I don't have one. Oh, cool. So there you go. So there you go. Well, Moving you on. told the whole thing. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Weren't you listening? Yeah. Anyway, of. as always, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter, Instagram, sometimes threads, as long as Elizabeth doesn't have the passwords. You know, I'm going to get it just back. stop it. I'm going to get it back. Anyway, I, I'm rooting they for They deleted you. so much stuff that I put up there. I saw that. I anyway, we have a website also, RidiculousCrime.com, <laughs> and you can email us if you want at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. Remember to start that Dear Elizabeth. Okay, as always, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Dave, the best man standing, Kustin. Research is by Marissa, respect to Al Borland, Brown, and Andrea. I'm a JTT truther, song sharpened Our theme song is by Thomas, the rule man, Lee, and Travis, the cool man, Dutton. The host wardrobe is provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Ben. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Bolin and Noel. I like Patricia Heaton. Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.